I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season nine of the Parenting Aces podcast. We are at almost at the end of the season. We've got, I think, this episode and two more, and then we are done for 2020, and 2020 can't leave fast enough. <laughs> I am not going to be sad for it to be over. Um, as we're recording this, we are still awaiting election results here in the States, and I have not gotten a whole lot of sleep since Tuesday, so caveat right there. My apologies to my guest, Ash Smith, up front. So, Ash, be gentle. And um, I'm, I'm, but I'm really excited to talk to Ash. And we will jump into Ash and Evolve Nine Tennis in just a moment. But before I bring him on, just a reminder that if you haven't joined us yet on ParentingAces.com, we have lots of options for you, uh, including a free option. And we'd love to have you as part of our premium community, which will give you access to all sorts of discounts and premium content and all also quarterly consults with me. So uh, hopefully that's a perk for y'all. And also just a reminder that there is a lot of tennis going on. And for those of you who listened to last week's episode, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to please sign the online petition in support of UMass Women's Tennis. They need all the support they can get to get their results um, and their championship, their conference championship reinstated. These players deserve that and shame on the NCAA for punishing them over a phone jack outlet of all things. So anyway, check that out. And um, other than that, I, I want to welcome Ash Smith, who is the director of Evolve 9, which is a tennis consulting firm. Um, I, I'm going to let him get into the, the nuts and bolts of what they do, but they are based in the UK and I'm thrilled to have him on the show. So let me just bring him on. Um, Ash, uh, let me unmute you. There we go. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast, and thanks for joining us from the UK. No, thank you very much. It's It's been a pleasure, and it's been, I would imagine, a, a lot more pleasurable for me watching what's happening with you uh, via, the, <laughs> via the BBC News than, than it has been to be directly involved, because from, from this side of the ocean, it, it looks pretty crazy. It, it's been brutal, yes. And um, I like being on the West Coast, I have to say. It's the first time I've been on the West Coast in a very long time to watch the returns come in. Uh, it makes it a lot easier than staying up till the middle of the night on the East Coast. But nonetheless, it's been a stressful week. So bear with me this morning. No worries. Well, whichever way it goes, I, I wish everybody over there the best. What, whatever happens, I can... Uh... Yeah, we, we, we've had our own issues over here, but it's um, it's nothing yeah. like the, the sort of circus that it appears to be, at least from what we get told over here. So, <sighs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. let's, let's anyway. talk that, yeah. Yes, please. Fun. Let's talk tennis. So can you share with the Parenting Aces community what Evolve 9 is, what y'all are attempting to do? And um, then we're going to jump into some more pointed content. Sure. So I guess that at its very heart, Evolve 9 is about helping uh, coaches um, give better experience to kids who want to play tennis. So we, we run a range of, of consulting options and products and programs, but ultimately that's what it's about. It's about giving kids the best possible experience of tennis so that they can fall in love with it and let it take them wherever it may take them, and whether that's to a professional tour, whether that's to a college scholarship, whether that's to representing their school, playing socially for fun. You know, we know tennis is a game for life. Um, you know, we, we have players playing well into their 80s, 90s. You know, it, it's a, such a fantastic sport for that. So we want to give every kid who starts and picks up a racket the best experience they can have and to help coaches deliver that. that that's ultimately what we try to do. Right. So why did you feel like there was a need for a consulting service for programs and coaches? I think that around the world, we, you know, we, we operate sort of globally. So we're, we're, we sort of operate beyond the UK. We've, we've got a big presence in the States, but, but, but around you know, many other countries around the world, too. And there are lots and lots of different approaches to coach education 
and the integration of kind of sports science and sports psychology and, and you know, pedagogy for kids, you know, learning for kids, the way kids develop and learn. And we, we just felt like there was a, an opportunity to bring all of that together and to kind of fit it under one roof um, so that coaches who were really, really keen on, on being the best in the kids' tennis space could A, find somewhere to go to get the latest information they need, but also to be with other coaches who think the same way. Mm. Um, you know, to, to be in a sort of a community of coaches who really want to give kids the best experience of tennis from day one. Um, and, and we kind of looked around and, you know, the, the performance sphere is quite well looked after. And I, you know, I, I don't I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm not a big fan of the performance development divide. And, you know, it's like, no, you know, the idea of having a performance five year old kind of makes me a little bit a little bit queasy. Do you know what I mean? It's, as a parent of a four-year-old yourself, yeah, yeah you, know, exactly, you, exactly. you speak from personal experience, right? She's she, she's not a performance player. She's just learning to count to ten. Like, <laughs> she, she's not a performance anything, bless her. Um, she's awesome, but you know. So so yeah. So the, so that whole concept, I think, made us all feel a little bit okay. Hang on, there's there's something else that needs to be done first, and and yeah, if we can get those steps right, then it gives kids the best platform to go on and, and achieve whatever they want to achieve with their tennis. Um, right. but, but we wanted, we felt like we could bring it all under one roof uh, and give coaches and parents and facilities uh, the access to, to that information in one place. I love it. It's interesting. You know, we have two coaching education organizations, coaching certif- certifying organizations here in the States, um, USPTA and the PTR. And when I had um, one of the testing uh, members of USPTA on the podcast a couple years ago, we learned that they don't test coaches on junior development pathways, on junior competition structure, on college recruiting or pathway to college tennis. These are not things that coaches, at least here in the States, are typically learning in, as part of their formal coaching education which is why I've always been a huge proponent of a system of mentors and younger coaches learning from more experienced coaches. Um, And I'm curious how Evolve 9 kind of works that whole mentor angle into things. Yeah, I mean, we're we're, we're very lucky. So the the organization was started by Mike Barrell, who I'm sure a lot of your listeners may have come across uh, in his, you know, his his career in tennis and especially with with his work in the U.S., Um, and so, you know, through Mike and his connections, we're very lucky to have an incredible network of people that we work with around the globe um, who are sort of ambassadors for Evolve 9 and, and for Evolution Kids Tennis, which is our sort of uh, kids tennis program product, if you want to call it that. Um, so we're very, very lucky that, you know, coaches who do come on board and, and work with us, they have that access as part of those programs. You know, they, mm-hmm. they'll they get, you know, I hate to blow my own trumpet and call myself an expert or, you know, and I'm sure Mike would say the same, but you know, we know the research we've done and where it's come from and the experience we've all had. Um, so, you know, people get access to us, you know, we'll be on the phone every month, um, you know, talking you through your program, finding out what's working, what's not helping you find solutions to to the various problems you're having. And, and if we can't, we'll find people who do. Um, you know, we, we just put on a, a virtual conference uh, earlier in the summer, the It's My Game conference, and we had 40 speakers all of whom we know and, and, and you know, have worked with and trust. And so there's access to all sorts of information through either us directly or the connections we have. Uh, but I'm with you 100%. I think the the best education I've had in coaching has been through working with mentors. Mm. You know, that, that's not to say that in our country, the coach education system is pretty good. Um, and, you know, we're very lucky that the LTA do a good hand, you know, do a good shift with with coach ed. But I think the mentoring I've had from from different people has, has made, that's been the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think it does, you know, across the board, whatever you're pursuing in life, right. It's always helpful to have somebody with more experience uh, to kind of bounce ideas off of and be kind of a checkpoint for you as you move forward through your career, your passion, whatever it is. Um, So I wanted to just really kind of jump into you, Let me just back up a second. You and I have exchanged a bunch of emails and we've sent some ideas back and forth about topics for discussion. And um, one of the topics that you sent that I thought 
would be very interesting and very apropos to this podcast is the topic of how kids learn, right? Um, what motivates kids? What are their needs? Um, and how do coaches and subsequently parents in conjunction with coaches meet those needs and satisfy those motivations? So what you got for us? <laughs> sure. I mean, it's it's such a sort of it's such a broad area, isn't it? And, you know, we, we often right. talk and we'll you know, you'll talk you'll hear psychologists talking about, you know, extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation and how one is somehow better than the other uh, and all of these things. And and it's and it's great, but it's sort of like giving the instructions to a spaceship to a caveman. <laughs> you know I mean? It's like, yeah, that's great. But as a, as a coach on the ground, how how do I make that work? Like, yeah. You know, I can understand all the principles of extrinsic motivation in the world, but actually, what does that really mean uh, to to a kid who wants to come and play tennis? And you know, so so we look at it in terms of the you know, kids need to know the context of what they're doing. You know, kids love to know why, and boys especially love to know why. Why am I doing this? Why is this a thing? So the context is everything. You know, kids need to have learning in context of well, why am I going to use this learning? Mm. Now, what, what will this allow me to do? And then the other big one that, you know, especially with, with kids is that feeling of connection. So it's it's being part of something. Um, and I think and we'll, we'll talk about sort of what the five pillars of a great program, because it, it, it sort of helps meet those needs. But that that feeling of connection is is critical. It, it's why one of the main reasons we see kids wearing their favorite sports teams jersey. Yeah. You know, the, you, know you see kids walking around in over here, you know, football, obviously, is basically everything. Soccer for you guys is basically everything. Um, so, you know, it's why kids who live down near me on the south coast of of, Great, of England are wearing Liverpool Football Club T-shirts, which is way in the north of the country. So mm-hmm. it's like they've never been to Liverpool. They've never, they've never, they've, you know, probably watched them on the telly. They, they've never visited even the city. But they feel part of something when they wear that shirt and they see their friends wearing that shirt. Or they see a stranger in the street wearing that shirt and they feel that there's a connection there. And that makes me feel like I want to be part of kind of that movement, I guess. And so, you know, kids are motivated. They they want to be with their friends. They want to be with their peers. They want to sometimes they want to do things because it's going to help, you know, with their parents. It'll impress their parents or or my mum and dad do it. And I feel like I'm part of what they do because a lot of tennis kids play tennis because their mum and dad play tennis. Right. Um, and they got they went to the tennis club because mum and dad were playing tennis on a weekend. And so they went to the club and batted a ball around on the grass by the side of the court or what have you and, and went from there. So that connection with the club is really, really important. And then, of course, you, you'll also get those kids who are motivated individually by breaking down barrier challenges, you know, challenging themselves to do different things. And, and I think in tennis, we've got a brilliant sport for finding different ways to challenge kids. Mm. Um in ways that they can kind of manage and cope with because we're always trying to strike that balance aren't we between setting kids challenges that they've got the physical emotional mental capacity to deal with um and again it's finding that right balance between if they've got just on the cusp of the capacity to deal with this we can keep them motivated to keep going and if we set our challenges way beyond that capacity then we probably lose them yeah they shut down Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, it's I, I always talk with coaches, you know, if you're I don't like the word drill. Um, uh, it's just a me thing, probably. But, you know, if you're doing a, a drill or a practice with a kid, you want them to get six or seven out of 10 right. Whatever right looks like, because it's enough success to keep them interested, but enough failure to keep them striving to try and improve. And so if they're getting kind of three or four out of 10, you do that once or twice, they're going to get pretty bored and go, I can't do this. Mm. And if they're getting 10 out of 10 or nine out of 10, it's like too easy. What's the point? Right. So, so you're always trying to strike that balance in, in anything in your program, whether it's your lessons, whether it's your free play, your socials, whatever you do as part of your program, it's finding that balance. And it's something that video games do brilliantly. Um, How so? I'm not a gamer. Um, I I just I kind of missed that. Like I'm a little too old, I guess. I have a younger brother who 
works in the video game industry. So he was born at exactly the right time for it. And then like my kids, one of my kids is into it, but yeah. Yeah. So we've done a lot of research into kind of the idea of of gamification as it's known, which is, you know, it's it's the idea of how do you turn a, a structured practice into something that's a game and, Computer games are brilliant. So if you you pick up a game for the first time and level one is easy, like whatever level one looks like, it teaches you how to do the basics of the game and you complete it straight away and you feel pretty good about yourself. I've just been level one. That's great. And if you don't beat level one, it doesn't really matter because you've got another life and you can have another go. So you get kind of a do over until you kind of figure out how this works and you experience a bit of success. And then gradually, as the levels kind of increase, the difficulty kind of ramps up a little bit. So that level of challenge grows as your skill grows. And again, that's something that that we need to strive for in tennis. And, you know, that's one area where having the different courts, balls and racket sizes is brilliant because it allows you to scale the difficulty of the challenge as the kid develops physically, um, which is really, really important. Again, that, that capacity around... Their, their physical capability, really important. Um, but also then in games, you see other things that sort of sneak in, which is ways of keeping different people motivated for different reasons. So, for example, some people love collecting. Are you, do you collect, are you a collector? Uh, a, not really, no. But, you know, you, people collect sports cards, right? Like, yeah. that, that's a thing. Sure. Or um, my mum used to collect, like, thimbles, like sewing thimbles, and have them in a little display on the you know, yeah. Why? It's like, oh, I really like, it's like, why are you collecting that? You don't use them. They don't serve any functional purpose. You just collect, or, you know, so people collect all sorts of weird and wonderful things for all sorts of weird and wonderful reasons. But it's a thing that we like to do as, as human beings. It's one of our, you know, it's a driver that some of us have. So then in games, you have things where you can collect different bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. If you finish a level or you find a secret passage or you go down next route, you collect a thing. And then you collect two or three things and you complete a set of things and there's a reward. So, so you've got that idea of collecting things. It's like, well, okay, can we do that in tennis? Like, can we, can we create formats in tennis where kids can collect? And that may be a thing. And then you have elements of games where you're cooperating. So you're working together with someone to complete a certain challenge or a certain mission. And then there are others where you're competing against someone to complete a challenge or a certain mission. So they have all these little clever little devices um, which are designed to just sort of keep you going that little bit longer and they introduce a new element of chance. So just when your skill is getting, you know, you're looking, you're feeling really, really good and then the big end of mission boss appears and, you know, wipes you off the screen or whatever. So, <laughs> so, so computer, they're brilliant at it. So it really got us thinking about, well, how can we, how can we take those elements into a tennis program or a sports program and use those principles to help kids, um, you know, to help keep them motivated, to inspire them to want to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why certainly within like evolution, you know, all of our lessons are based on missions. We have tactical missions for the kids to try and achieve. Um, and each of those tactical missions will require a different solution. And it might be a physical solution with a racket. It might be um, a puzzle solving solution. So some kids are really, you know, they're really, they love solving puzzles. It's like, well, how can we create puzzles on court for these kids to solve? Because if we can tick the cooperative, competitive, puzzle solving, collecting, we can tick all these different boxes within the context of a tennis lesson. We're kind of giving the kids everything they need to stay motivated and committed and to want to keep going. And then they can achieve a mission, makes missions a bit harder, achieve that mission. The next one's a bit harder. So you're always just stretching and challenging and stretching and challenging, but in a really supportive way. Um, and I, and I, that's ultimately the key. It's providing them that support that they can that they can achieve and grow within that environment. Interesting. And we're not just talking about itty bitty kids. We're talking about kids all the way up to age eighteen. Sure. Beyond. Yeah. And I, yeah absolutely. And I think you know motivations probably start to change. As kids get older, some will still be heavily involved with the social side of tennis. Um, you know, I, I, I still do a lot of on-court teaching and, you know, I teach a group on a Wednesday evening at like 6.30 at night with must be, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 kids who are all 15, 16 
and they're all in that kind of just doing their exams at school kind of age and they're all a little bit you know 14 15 16 you're a bit self-conscious at that age and you know you don't want to but they just come because it's hormones a, yeah we get it yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for them it's just a space where they can come and you know again i'm loath to use the word have fun because it you know fun is a it's a tricky one because fun kind of runs out at some point but they can come down they can have an enjoyable experience you know we we set it up in a way that they don't feel judged you know it's, it's very light-hearted they get to hit some tennis balls hang out with their mates and they they come back mm. and you know none of them is going to be you know none of them's going to be a college player none of them's going to go and play full-time none of them really in fact none of them want to compete but they just love to come back and play their tennis with their friends. And, and, and it's that social piece. Mm-hmm. Whereas you'll get others who, you know, come through their mini tennis, you know, red, orange and green programs and are kind of going, I'm, I'm pretty good. And, you know, maybe they've got a, a ranking um, or a rating and they start to play some competitions away from the club. And then once you get to that point where they start competing, certainly externally anyway, that's when you tend to see those motivations shift. Right. And then they're doing it for a different reason and they come to lessons because they really want to get good so that they do better at their next competition. Um, and so, yeah, the, the principles apply. It's, I think, understanding the motivator. Why, why is the kid there? Why does kid X come to your program? Um, and once you truly know that, then you can really serve those needs for them. Um, and, and that comes to just you know, spending time chatting to the kid, chat to the parent, find out. Find out more about them. What makes them tick? What do they like? What don't they like? You know, we always have kids come to us. And the first thing I ask them is if they could order any meal in the world right now for free, what would they eat? That's an interesting like, one. Yeah. And, you know, and, and people just look at me and go, are you mental? Like, why, why does it matter? <laughs> um, you know, and, and what's weird is I'll, I'll remember that before I remember their name. So, you know, one kid gets called pizza for his entire first lesson. Love it. But, at the end, he's like, "Mom, Daddy, he, he was t- he was calling me pizza all night because that's my favourite food." And so, you just sort of build up a picture of, of each of those kids as they come and go, and you know, from chatting to the parents and about their siblings. And if you show an interest in kids, they'll show an interest in you. And then, and it all comes down. It all comes down to communication, which is, you know, at the base of pretty much everything we do here at Parenting Aces is. Yeah all about building better communication between parents and coaches, parents and players, players and coaches, um, really opening up that dialogue and making sure that everybody's on the same page. Because if you've got a kid who tells you, hey, I just want to come and play with my friends. I have no interest in playing tournaments. I have no interest in going to college to play tennis. I just want to get good enough so that I can go on the court and play with my friends for fun. And yet you're approaching their lessons or you've got a parent who's like, you know, insisting that they study the game and watch all these professional matches on TV and read all these biographies. No, it's not going to work, right? No, absolutely. You know, the, the, the key thing, I guess, with, with motivation is that the person has to be motivated. to. They have to want to learn above all else. Um, and, you know, the there's not really a lot you can do. If they're just not motivated to learn, then there's not really a lot you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, in many cases, there, you know, there's little bits, there's little things you can do. There's little sort of, I guess you could call them psychological tricks you can try and play to, to make that happen. But yeah, if, if they don't want to learn, you know, you, you, there's not a lot you can do. But that doesn't mean they can't enjoy their tennis, right? And that they can't be a big part of the social side of what you used to do. Um, I know Mike always gives an example of a club. Uh, that he used to run, where they used to do an annual trip uh, to somewhere in Europe. And it was just, you know, a few days. They'd take the kids away. They'd arrange with a local tennis club in Belgium or France or Spain or something to do, you know, some fun games and matches and, and stuff like that. And he'd have people joining his club just so they could go on the trip to Belgium or France or Holland or wherever. It's like they didn't really have that much interest in tennis. But the attraction of that social trip was so strong because – it, it spoke to the bit of the kids that wanted to belong. Mm. They came to join the tennis club. And then because they'd done that, they actually started going to lessons and playing with their friends and they would all get reasonably good, you know, and then they would, you know, play some school. Then the school would go, oh, you're quite good. Let, do you want to play for the school? 
play some school tennis. And it's like, okay. And so it opened up an entirely different avenue for those kids that they would probably never have explored had it not been for the social side of Mike's program meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. That's Um, so interesting. And I think that, you know, at least here in the States, there aren't, to my knowledge, a lot of coaches who really understand the, the big picture of offering things like taking a group of kids to the NCAA championships, for example, here in the States would be like a huge draw, right? Because it's college, you're, well, unless it's at Lake Nona, you're on a college campus and, you know, you're getting to experience what college tennis feels like and you're there with a group of friends and your coach is there kind of guiding the experience a little bit, right? So um, it's a shame that more coaches haven't gotten creative in that way. Yeah, and you know, it, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't even need to be that sort of, you know, that extensive, like go bowling. Yeah. I mean, it's like take kids bowling or, you know, go and play a different sport for an afternoon. Um, you know, a, a lot of, certainly in this country, and I'm sure it's the same um, over in the States, you know, you, you have facilities where there's tennis courts and something else. Right. You know, if it's part of a country club or a leisure club, or maybe it's linked, you know, over here, a lot of tennis clubs are on multi-sports sites. So there might be a football club, a rugby club, a cricket club, a hockey club, all operating out of a similar area. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, can we do something where, you know, the hockey kids come and play tennis for half an hour and we go and play hockey for half an hour and then we all go and play football, soccer for half an hour and then we all have pizza. Or, you know, I like pizza. You can tell I like pizza, right? I've mentioned yeah. it twice already. <laughs> Um, and and let's talk about what that accomplishes, right? Because, you know, over the years, I've talked with a lot of medical professionals. I've talked with a lot of physical therapists, um, psychologists about this whole notion of burnout and, and how to keep kids interested in pursuing the sport long term and the importance of cross training and the importance of developing interests off the court that you know, maybe somehow related, but not directly related. And so doing what you're suggesting ticks all those boxes. Yeah, what 100%. So one of the things, like I've been very privileged in my career. I've, I've worked at sort of all levels of tennis from kind of the first time a kid's picked up a racket to, to players competing at Wimbledon. So I've, I've kind of seen the whole spectrum. Um, and one of the things we know that a lot of elite athletes struggle with, and this is not just tennis, this is across the board, is their mental health. Um, so we've just had a, there's a, a famous, I'm going to talk rugby, so sorry for anyone in the state who, who loses this a little bit, but there's a rugby player called Johnny Wilkinson, who for a long time was basically the be- the greatest rugby player in the world. Um, and he won us the Rugby World Cup in 2003 with a, a last second kick. The best player in the world, had the world at his feet for so many years And he's just written his newspaper column that he writes for explaining how he suffered. He struggled for years with depression and mental health issues. Mm. You go, well, how can this be? You know, you're you had the world at your feet. And it's it simply comes down to being that elite generally means you cut yourself off from your community. You're you're separated from a lot of your support because you have to be a little bit selfish Mm -hmm. to be that good. You know, you, you can't go out and do X, Y and Z with your friends like you would have otherwise. And it's amazing how often we see that. Um, so there's a big push now with kind of our Olympic and Paralympic programs to help athletes stay in touch with their communities by giving, you know, giving some time back, running kids tournaments on the side of their training, just so they can stay connected with the local community and, and feel like they're giving something back. And so, yeah, it, it's vital that that idea of, and especially for kids, you know, that idea of staying connected is so, so important. Um, and, you know, we, we see that in the world at the moment where, you know, I, I don't know how it is for you, but, you know, we've just gone back into a new four week lockdown in the UK um, and the schools are still open this time. But a lot of schools are having to shut different year groups or bubbles. So my little girl started in September uh, and she's now off for 14 days because there was a positive test in her year at school. So she's just started school and now I've had to go, sorry, you, you can't go in for 14 days. Yeah. And her first thought was, well, when will I see my friends? Exactly. The first thing that crossed her mind was, when do I get to see my friends again? It's like, well, you can't for 14 days because you all have to stay apart just in case 
So <clears throat> building those, giving kids those options to build those social networks around through the medium of tennis, I guess is the way to put it, is so, so important. And then, yeah, you, you get the benefits that, that you already mentioned about, you know, playing other sports, which is aids physical development, mental development, you know, different sports require different skills of problem solving and, and so on. So, yeah, the, the, the benefits both to your programme. A lot of coaches, I think, don't do it because they're worried kids will leave to go to the other sport. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, if I, if, which I, it's, I mean. Yeah, no. Anyway. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're doing a really, really good job, with your tennis program, you shouldn't worry about a kid going to play some soccer or some football or some hockey and them not coming back. And actually, do you know what? If they do, well, then good. Like maybe they'll have a better experience for them. Maybe that fulfills more needs than tennis does. Maybe they need to be in a team sport, Um, you know, and yeah, we'll we'll talk about probably competition in a bit and how we can make that more teamy. But, but yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you don't have to go overboard with the social side, but just make sure something happens. You know, T-shirts or caps with your club. You know, everybody who enrolls on a program gets a club T-shirt. Right. When you were talking about kids wearing jerseys from their favorite sports teams, you know, I, I was thinking about coaches that go ahead and print up T-shirts that they have the kids wear when they travel to tournaments together or um, the kids just wear to school. That's just kind of a source of pride for them. You know, I'm part of this tennis program. I work with this coach. Um, Oh, and there's another kid over there wearing the same shirt. And maybe I don't know them because we're at different levels or in different grades in school, but there's that point of connection. Yeah, there's there's that moment when you're walking down the corridor, isn't there? And the you know the the kid who's like three or four years older than you, but you play tennis, and you know they just sort of, yep, give you a little nod in the, the corridor. And, you know, yeah. as, as the as the you know ten eleven year old kid, it's like yeah, I feel pretty good right now. Like the exactly you know, the the, eight, the seventeen eighteen year old kid that I that I'm in the same tennis group as or go to the same club as, like he just nodded at me in the corridor. Like, I feel pretty good about that. And, it, and again, it it heightens that sense of of being part of something that's bigger than you. Um, and that's really, really important. Agreed. Agreed. Well, let's talk about competition. You mentioned that a second ago and, you know, tennis, I, I don't know what's going on with junior competition where you are, but in the States, USTA has just restructured, uh, again, (laughs) and starting January of 2021, we'll have a new tournament structure with different ranking points and all of this. And uh, the impetus behind it was trying to kind of set a standard for the entire country rather than letting each different area of the U.S. set its own uh, way of doing things, which has traditionally been the case here with USTA. And it's very complicated, especially if you move to a different section or you go visit grandma and grandpa in a different section and want to play a tournament while you're there. And, you know, uh, it's been very tricky. So one of the things USTA is doing with this new structure is incorporating more team events. I think uh, here in the States, they're starting to realize that Kids gravitate to team sports, that it is an attractive option to offer up. And I'm curious to hear what what's happening in the UK and what's happening with some of the Evolve 9 clients that y'all work with. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, competition for us is, is, is a really key one. And it's it seems to be the thing that tennis, you'd think tennis would get it right because tennis is built around competition. ATP, WTA, ITF, UTR, except there's, you know, there's so much of it. But at a, at a sort of a grass, I know at a grassroots level, it seems to be the thing that we forget because, like, so I'm going to I'm going to use a, a soccer football analogy over here. So, in football, you have a training session on a Tuesday evening because on Saturday you have a match. Mm-hmm. You go to training on Tuesday one because if you don't go to training, you don't get to play. Probably, uh, the coach doesn't pick you, and two. You want to be better in the match. So you go to training. And in tennis, we go to tennis instruct we go to tennis coaching on a Tuesday night. And then next Tuesday we go to tennis coaching. And then the following Tuesday we have a tennis lesson. And then on Tuesday we have a tennis lesson. <laughs> and you go, well, there's a bit missing. Like, why are you doing like the, the competition is the purpose. It's the reason you have lessons. It's the test. 
to get better at tennis. It's the mission. It's the end mission. It's the big right. boss in a way. And again, you know, the things we've talked about aside, kids who just want to play socially and have fun, et cetera, et cetera. And then what we do is we take those kids and we go, no, you should play competition. It's really important for your development to practice all these skills and, and see where they're going. And then we put them into a competition which just doesn't suit their emotional, physical, mental or technical readiness. So we send them out to a competition. And we go, right, you're going you're to be on your own in this sort of big arena, a bit like a boxing ring. And uh, one of you is going to win and the other one's a loser. And then we wonder yeah, why when the kid comes And then we wonder why when the kid comes off, they go, I don't really want to do that again. I'm not going to go to tennis next week. Yeah. So we're really, really big on, on making competition appropriate for the age, stage, well-being and capacity of the child. So are they emotionally ready? Are they physically ready? Are they technically ready? That they can at least go and have an enjoyable experience of playing tennis. And then the other side of that is, well, what do you do around the tennis? So could you do some off-court activities that will give them competitive, cooperative, puzzle solving, you know, all those things we talked about that, that relate to gaming. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what social can we put on around the tennis? What can we do for parents around the tennis to help parents be better tennis parents? Because again, you know, the reason you exist is because tennis right. does a horrible job of helping parents understand what we're trying to do. Exactly. And then, and then when we don't understand, we, we have a go at them. Yeah. Like, so that's another, we'll probably come on to that shortly, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, coaches don't like tennis parents so much. <laughs> it's bizarre. It kills me. We'll talk yeah. about, we'll, we'll definitely, I'll, I'll be on my soapbox for that one for sure. Oh, good. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so what can we wrap around the, and then how can we make the tennis appropriate? So team competition is great because it just takes that little bit of pressure off the kid. Mm -hmm. And how can we devise formats where the kid can still contribute, even if they're not winning? And I, I'm not one of those, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those people that, you know, everybody gets a trophy day. Uh, it's, it's not about that so much, but it's how can we reward kids for doing the things that we've asked them to do and trying to do them as best as they can. So if a, a mini red player loses a tie break 7-3, instead of losing, he gained three points for his team. Mm. And th th there are so many ways as coaches we can be creative to, yes, the person who won still gets the big reward because they deserve it. That's how it works. But equally, how can we still encourage the kids that aren't doing the, the winning mm -hmm. to feel like they've still won in their own way? You know, Sports with personal bests, you know, what we call the CGS sports, centimetres, grams, seconds, they're fantastic for that. Mm -hmm. Because I know if I'm in a 100-metre race against Usain Bolt, I'm not winning. Right. <laughs> right. I'm probably not finishing it this week. <laughs> but he can do, you know, 9.6, whatever. If I can beat my best, you know, if I can beat 11 seconds, that's a personal best. I can't do better than that. But right. I know that. And it's it's kind of makes it okay. Well, I did my best, so I know I did a good race. But tennis, think, we have to find ways of doing that. I think that's part of the mindset behind UTR, right? To encourage kids not to give up in a match, to reward games won. So even if you don't come out the winner of the match, if you've played better against this player or perform better against this opponent than you did the last time you met him or her, then that's to your advantage and it helps you. Right. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think as coaches as well, we, we need to probably get better at helping kids set, set goals for themselves. Um, and you know, every coach will, Oh yeah. You know, you set smart goals that are specific and measurable and yada, yada, yada. But it, it's like, how often you know, how often do we set performance goals that are really outcome goals in disguise? So, for example, you know, we say, right, in, in this match, um, you've got to hit less than three double faults. Mm. And we'll call that successful. But it's still a fail or not fail goal. Yeah. But it might as well be win or lose. Yeah. Because I either did hit three double faults or I didn't. So actually, what about goals where kids can give themselves a score out of 10? So in practice, on your second serve, we've been working about really accelerating up the back of the ball to make some spin. 
So at the end of the tournament, give me a score out of 10 for how well you feel you did that. Hmm. Nikki goes, oh, I guess I like it was kind that. of a five, or, a five or six. Okay, well, why did what, why a five or six? What do you feel you could have done? Oh, well, in the second match, I, I you know, I got a bit nervous and a bit tight and I, I didn't accept. Okay, cool. And then the next training session, we can work on it. And the next tournament, you go, right, today I'm going to I'm gonna give myself another score out of 10. And so then, then you get into what I would class as a real performance goal or a process goal. Mm-hmm. Because it's things that you can rate. And on a different day, it might be slightly different. And it's not about comparing this week to last week, saying, oh, this week I've got to get a seven. It's about understanding why you gave yourself the score you did. Because that unlocks the door to the next bit of practice. Um, And this feeds right into that whole idea of tennis being a vehicle to prepare kids for life, right? And developing this type of analytical skill set, self-evaluation skills, um, rating skills that are going to be applicable regardless of what they do in their adult life. And I just think these are the kinds of things that excite me about tennis is talking to people like you, Ash, who understand that this is not about hitting a yellow ball across a net into, you know, a set area between some white lines. This is about so much more than that. And I think tennis, we've just not done a good enough job at telling that piece of the story. No, 100%. And you know, we're, we're really big, certainly with the evolution sort of program product, um, we're really big on having a behaviors framework. Um, we call it court warrior. And it, it's about rewarding kids for displaying you know, the, the, those behaviors that you've just talked about, the behaviors that not only translate to tennis, but to life. Um, I did a series of things in the summer at my, my club now that when we were open, when we were allowed to do things on yeah. court for, for that sort of, we had about eight COVID weeks where we could really, control. <laughs> yeah, we had about eight weeks where we could do stuff. Um, so we did a lot of team competition and we we had our club, we have four values and each of those values has behaviors. So we look at uh, leadership, resilience, respect, um, things like that. And each of them's got like little, you know, to show leadership, I will help other people within my club to, you know, do better. Respect looks like this. Resilience is keeping going, even though it's really difficult, you know, stuff like that. So we would, we would give points for teams for winning tasks, winning missions, you know, achieving X, Y, Z. But we would also give out bonus points when we saw kids displaying those values. So if we saw a good example of leadership or a good example of a kid who, you know, we, we did some physical stuff. And one of the kids said to me at the start, I really hate this practice, but I'm going <laughs> to do it. And I went, that's awesome. Like, how fantastic is that? He's like, I hate doing this thing, whatever. I can't remember, it might have been a hexagon jump or a cone drill or something. He's like, I hate it, but I'm going to do it. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, yeah. Bonus points for you, dude. Like, that's brilliant. Yeah. And what, what we found was that almost every single time, the team that won the tennis was the team that had displayed and won the most values points. Almost Imagine universe. That. Across, across <laughs> I know, and it's like, Across the eight weeks, it's like you got the blue team won, but the blue team, they were the ones that got that displayed the most performance behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't take long. You know, a couple of weeks in, the kids were like, right, we need to be on this yeah. because it helps us win that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And, you know, so we'd have those conversations at the start of the day and at the end of the day with the parents for pickup and kind of go, look, this is why this team has been successful pretty much because they've they've displayed the behaviors that, that help them succeed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we can, you know, I had a, a message from a, a parent this week that said, um, oh, he's loving his lessons at the moment. He, school always tell me that he's really quiet and lacking in self-confidence, but his tennis is really helping him build confidence in himself and that school have started to recognize that he's changing a little bit. And I was like, that's, and he's, you know, he's a decent kid. You know, he's a good sort of orange level, like nine-year-old, mm-hmm. but he's never going to set the world alight. Right. But it doesn't matter because yeah. it's having an impact because we teach from that kind of values based system. It's having an impact on his life outside tennis. Yeah. And, and you know, if you'd asked the me of 10 years ago when I was like really into performance and all of this stuff, I'd have been like, ah, yeah, whatever that kid, uh, you know, he's not going to be a performance player. He's not going to go to college or whatever. 
Right. It's like, whereas now it's like, no, there's a, there's a much bigger picture. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe he's a late, you know, maybe he will go on and, and maybe he'll suddenly click and he'll get inspired. But if he doesn't, that's cool because he's going to be a better human because of the work he's done with his tennis. So that, that works for me every time now. I love it. I love it. Well, we're, our hour is like zipping by. This is oh, correct. Yeah, it is. You're right. I know. So you mentioned. Should we, should we talk parents? Uh, yes. I. That was my transition to <laughs> we can't leave this conversation without touching on this parent coach headbutting thing that seems to go on constantly. And on social media, I know you see it like I do. And I try to come to the rescue of the parents, try to come to their defense. But sometimes some coaches just aren't having it and some parents aren't having it. So let's, let's dig into that. What's going on? Let's dig in. I'll, I'll preface this in two ways. Uh, Way number one is that every parent and this is every parent that I've ever interacted with does it for the right reason. So whatever behaviors they may display and whatever we as coaches may think of what they say, how they stand, how they act, whatever they behave, they're doing it because they love their kid. Right. So they're not doing it to be a deliberate pain in the ass. <laughs> like they're, they're not doing it to be annoying deliberately. They're doing it because they want the best for their kid. And the second thing to preface it with is you can't blame people for displaying behaviors that they've never been educated against. Mm-hmm. So if you've never taken the time to sit down with the parents and go, look, to, to be really, really helpful These are the kind of things you could do. This is what's going to help me as the coach. And this is what's going to help your child. You can't blame them for doing something different. Right. Because they're doing it for the right reason, even though it may not actually be helpful. So the the idea that as as tennis, and we've always done this, I I don't know whether other sports do, but we've always done it in tennis, is leave your kid with me and disappear. And I'll sort this out because I'm the coach. Mm-hmm. And I always say to coach, well, how often do you see, let's call him Johnny. How often do you see Johnny? Oh, he comes to me for an hour a week. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, how often does he go to school? Well, he goes to school for six hours a day for five days a week. Okay, so like somewhere between 30, 35 hours, something like that. Yeah. Okay. How often is he with his mum and dad? Well, all the other, or his carer, whoever, all of the other hours of the week. So you see him for one. His teachers see him for 30, that's 31 hours, and his parents see him for, that's maths I can't even do, like however many other hours. So right. what makes you think you are the biggest influence in his, in his week? That there isn't one. So if we choose not to engage parents, we're losing a huge part of the kid's tennis education. Um, and it just seems crazy. Well, and what I never understood, Ash, is this notion that if you keep the parents off to the side and away and uneducated, that that somehow makes your job easier as the coach. That makes no sense to me. Um, It seems to me that the better educated I am as a parent and as my husband calls it, the tennis payer in this triad, right? The one writing the check to the coach and writing the check to the tournament directors, um, the better we're all going to be, you know, if, if we're a team around this instead of butting heads the whole time. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, I always give the example that if you, if you watch the Olympics, you watch track and field in the Olympics and um, the, the distance runner steps up on the top step of the podium to get their medal and all the eyes of the world are on them, that one person in that one moment. And everyone, oh, wow, look how hard they And you go, yeah, but there were like 15 people involved in getting that runner onto the top step of the program. Mm-hmm. There was a coach. There was a physiotherapist. There was a nutritionist. There was a masseuse. There was a life coach. There was a psychologist. There was their parents, their family, their friends, all of whom feed in. To, the, to making this athlete successful because they all have an individual job to do. Yeah. And so I'm assuming it's the same in the States. You know, most of the time the, the kid goes to a tournament with mum, dad's, a carer, yep. aunt, whatever, yep. not with the coach for right. the most part. 
Right. Um, you know, if you've got a coach who travels with you to tournaments, you're doing really well. Um, uh, financially too, right? And as a coach, it, it's really tough. You know, I, I get that. Sure. And I've, I've, sometimes you do it for free and other times you just, you just can't because you've got bills to pay. Um, so it's usually going to be the parents that are there. And, and again, I, I, I mean this in, you know, from the heart, like the nicest possible way. It's very, very easy for one wrong word or run, one wrong phrase from mum or dad after a match to undo weeks or months of hard work on court for sure and again like i said it's not it's not malicious it's not like they're deliberately trying to sabotage their the thought is i'm trying to say the right thing and it's just not Mm -hmm. um and i get that and and that's not all but you know some parents are brilliant and they really understand their kids and they know what to say and you know and when stuff but a lot you know it's it's tricky if you've never been in that world before it's really really tricky and so I think we as coaches have a responsibility to to help those parents, you know, be be our allies in the kids' program. We're their ally, actually. I think we look at it the wrong way around. You know, we're 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 the servant, not the master. Yeah. Um, so you know, our job as tennis leaders is to serve the needs of the child and the parent, uh, and that's bef- that's before we start talking. You know, you talk though financially and logistically, um, just in terms of helping their kid be the best kid they can be. So, yeah, you know, I think. If you're the parent and you rock up to the club and you're not embraced and the, the, the program, excuse me, doesn't have, you know, a clear and obvious feedback mechanism to you as a parent and, you know, doesn't engage with you and, and maybe do little, you know, workshops and, you know, uh, uh, I'm not holding my club up as like the perfect club because it's not. And there's lots of things I know we could do better and differently. But, you know, if we have a, a fun social competition on a Saturday well, we'll invite the parents to stay and we'll do a little half an hour on, you know, parenting stuff, you know, tennis parent things, you know, what, what can we do? Or we'll, we'll watch a little video or we'll do some, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen the chimp paradox by Steve Peters. Um, oh. Steve, I'm doing you a good, I'm selling your book here, Steve. So there's a clinical psychologist from the UK called Steve Peters and he's worked with the British cycling program with Liverpool football club with, you know, he's really good. He's got a book called the chimp paradox. And it's all about the naughty monkey that lives in your head and tells you things that aren't helpful. Oh, yeah. And it's a really nice analogy for kids. And so, you know, we, we can talk to parents and kind of go, look, this is this is what's happening in your kid's head. You know, when they're crying and throwing their racket on court, the naughty monkey is telling them to do it. <laughs> and the naughty monkey's doing it because it's scared. So, you know, your job when they come off is not to give them an earful, how dare you behave like that on court? Like, take a minute to understand what they were scared of. Like what made the, and it's probably that they're in a competition that they're not emotionally, physically, technically, tactically ready to compete in, mm. or they haven't been given that. You know, so so yeah. So every opportunity you get, so many opportunities to engage with parents. I, I really hate the whole kind of you shouldn't be on my court. It's my court. You go away. Go and sit in the car. You know. Yeah. Um, so when, you design, when you're doing coach education, is this part of what you're? working with coaches on, you know, when you're working with facilities, is this a, yeah. an aspect of the training? Yeah, for sure. So, so we, we kind of, our program looks at kind of five pillars. Um, so we have inst- the instruction, the coaching bit, which, you know, pretty much every program in the world gets something of that, right? Like they all have it. Um, and then we look at competition. So getting competition in club and out of club that's appropriate. We talked about the social pillar. So we have that, that social aspect, parent support, is, is one of the five pillars. It's how do you engage effectively with parents? Um, and we have ways and we have our tech to, sorry, technical and tactical framework is built around, I think we talked about the missions and those missions have cards which then can be used as reports back to parents. So mm-hmm. if you just wanted to do a formal like school report, it's, it's done for you, you can have that. Um, and then the other pillar is free practice, which is again, it's another one that I think tends to go missing a lot for kids especially. Match play. Um, I just wrote a whole article yeah, too. Just yeah. Go, go and play. Like yeah. when I was a kid, I'd, I'd get dropped off at my, my tennis club at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. And at 5 p.m., I'd be trying to find 10p to put in the payphone to ring my mum and go, don't come and pick me up because Dave's just arrived and we're going to go and play a set. <laughs> and I'd, I'd been there all day. And I was like, you know, there were some a couple of old guys who were, you know, they were short for a double. I'd be like, I'll play. Yeah. You know, uh, and then some of my mates would turn up at two o'clock. We'd jump on and we'd play some 
you know, play some sets or we'd go and play a bit of table tennis while we waited for a court. Yeah. And you'd just be there all day just playing because it was tennis and it was cool. Right. And it was fun. And, you know, we, and I, I don't, I don't see that happening. And it's, you know, we haven't cracked it at because my club. Because are so programmed now. They have tennis, you know, in this time slot and then they have piano lesson in that time slot and dance lesson in that time slot. I mean, it's, it's nuts. And yeah. It is a different world. I mean, I, I get that. Like, you can't just drop your kids somewhere and expect that they're going to be looked after and be safe. Um, it's just not the way of the world anymore. But there is a, a middle ground somewhere in there. Yeah, I think so. And I think the more we can, you know, we, we, like you say, we, we need to probably as program managers, as, as coach program runners, we need to facilitate a little bit more than, like you say, than we used to. But if we can program in time where courts are available for juniors just to turn up um, or, you know, we can ask one of the older juniors, you know, or one of the, the performance players to use that label again, you know, to, to give some time back to run some some, you know, fun match play things for kids on a Friday evening and and stuff like that. The more we can create those windows where they can come and play for free to not feel that they're judged, mm-hmm. you know, to go and hit hot dogs and around the world and behind the backs and do all those things that we would frown upon them doing in our instruction sessions right. that are actually really important. You know, they're, they're really important for the development of skill. So let's give them sessions where they can come and do those things without, without fear of being told they're messing around. It's like, no, go and mess around. And learn improvisation and create new strokes and shots that, you know, are effective in matches and that take your opponent off guard, right? Like encourage 100%. that creativity. It's not all, you know, the Federer perfect forehand and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, there's very little opportunity for kids to innovate on a tennis court anymore. Everybody's so married to teaching forehands this way and backhands this way and serves this other way. And, you know, God forbid you get a kid that comes on the court and wants to do things a little bit differently. Kind of the mindset is no, 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 this is the proper way, you know, do it, do it the way I'm teaching. It, it kills me. I, I went to a, again, last, going back to sort of last summer now when the world, when the world was normal again, um, I went to a, 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 it was, yeah, well, yeah, it was a, a national level event that was being held at a club locally. Um, and there was an, I think he was eight or maybe nine, but I think he was an eight year old. So playing kind of orange ball uh, tennis, hitting a one-handed backhand and serve volleying. And I was watching this kid think, I love this kid. <laughs> this, kid is, this kid is awesome. And like, he just played with freedom. He's just ripping this backhand and like hitting serves and coming in and hitting like volleys off his toes. And he was missing 50% of them, but it was cool. And I was just like, I would put money if I came back in four or five years, three, maybe less, maybe three years and saw this kid again, he'd be five feet behind the baseline, like grinding. He might still have a one-hander, but probably a two, like just grinding from behind the baseline because that's what's going to win him matches now. Mm. I was just like, it would be, I really hope I'm wrong. And I, I hope, you know, if I get to see him, if he comes back to the event next year, if it's on again, um, I hope he's still ripping one-handers and serve volleying. Yeah. Because... That's the way he, that's his expression of tennis. Like that's the way he loves to play. And yeah, he probably won't win now, but I'd put money on him. If he sticks with it, you know, he's going to have a good college career at the very least. Yeah. You know, like, cause he was very, he, he was very accomplished. He was, his shapes were really nice. His motor patterns were really good. Um, and I just hope nobody coaches that out of him because they want him to win today. Right. Um, he doesn't need that pressure. Like no kid, just play tennis your way and, you know, if you make it work, you'll be fine. Yeah, I love that. Well, we are at the end of our hour, sadly, Ash. Lord. So that just means we have to do this again because we have we will. way more stuff to talk about. And um, meanwhile, it's I dinner time, I guess, where you are. And my day's just getting started here on the West Coast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's bed and bath time for my little one. So I'm going to go and uh, I'm going to go and make some bubbles in the bath for her. And uh, I love it. We're going to do that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure finally getting to see you face to face and uh, getting to speak with you. And to those of you watching or listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. No worries. Uh, Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. And a quick plug, uh, if you want to go to itsmygame.net, you can find all the details of our conference. 
or you can come to evolve9.com uh, and find out a little bit more about what we're up to. And yeah, hopefully we can do this again and, and chat some more tennis. Absolutely. We will have all those links in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So make sure to check on, on Parenting Aces or on your favorite podcast app. We're everywhere. So catch you all next week. Have a good one, everybody. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community. Thank <laughs> you.